0: Good morning, Abundant Life Church. How you doing? It's awesome. Happy daylight savings time. Be honest with me. How many of you are coming to the 11:30 and 11:30 service? Yeah. See, I got. All right, I got you. I'm Robbie. I'm one of the pastors. It's my privilege to be able to share with you today. And uh, we are one one church, but we're multiple locations. And I want to welcome you here at Happy Valley. We're excited about this series that we're in. We're continuing on in our I Am series, and we're in week five. So grab your journals. If you have those with you, open it up to week five, and use these journals um, as a tool that you can write down as God brings things to your mind and your attention. Write these things down. We're going to continue on, and we're going to be in John chapter 11. So if you brought a physical Bible with paper in it, pages, open it up, stick your finger there. If not, if you're in the digital age and you want to use your smartphone, go ahead and grab your digital Uh, version and type in John 11, that's where we're going to be. And we're looking at I am statements of Jesus. And today the I am statement we're going to look at is where Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. Last week, uh, Pastor Jeremy talked about Jesus declaring himself as the good shepherd. And I love this because Jesus calls himself the shepherd and he calls us sheep. And I don't know about you, but I identify with sheep. If you've been around sheep, you know that sheep are not the smartest animal on the planet. Uh, sheep are dumb, okay? And I'm not calling you dumb, but I can identify with sheep. And I, I take comfort in the fact that we have a shepherd. And he says that, that his sheep know him and they hear his voice. And I love the challenge of Pastor Jeremy last week when he, when he said, we get to listen to the voice of our shepherd and we get to lean in and become discerners and listen to the voice of, of Jesus in the midst of a world with a lot of competing voices. But today we're going to look at the last of seven miracles in the Gospel of John. Now interestingly, uh, to note, uh, the, there's four Gospels. These are the accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three, they, they record a lot of miracles of Jesus But John records them a little bit different. There's seven miracles that he talks about. This is the final one, probably the most impactful. And he doesn't call them miracles, but he calls them miraculous signs. And I think that's interesting to note. A sign is any object, action, event, pattern, et cetera, that conveys a, a meaning. And so in Scripture, when we see a sign, it always points to something. Okay, so when John talks about miraculous signs, he's emphasizing the fact that these signs are pointing to something. And today, we are going to see what this incredible miraculous sign points to. Today, uh, we're going to look at a story, a narrative in the Gospel of John. And we're going to see a story about some people trying to deal with a very difficult situation and even process through some serious disappointment. I don't know if you've ever been disappointed. I know I have. But this story is messy, it's confusing, and the responses are varied. So I want to catch you up to the story before we dig into the passage. Jesus calls this family uh, a close family. He actually says that he loves this family. You may be familiar with this family if you've read your Bible much. It's Matthew, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, Mary and Martha, there's a story uh, about Mary and Martha. They're very different sisters. They're sisters, but Mary's the one that actually laid at the feet of Jesus and took uh, a bottle of perfume, a very expensive bottle of perfume, and and she poured the whole thing out on Jesus' feet, and then she took her hair and she washed Jesus' feet. Martha was the sister. At one time, Jesus came over to share a meal with them, and Martha was doing what she was supposed to do. She was in preparing the meal and taking care of business, and Mary was the one out with Jesus just hanging on every word, listening to everything that he had to say. And, and Martha, being a little bit black and white, you know, she uh, got a little frustrated with her sister, even went to Jesus, and she told Jesus, like, hey, I'm doing all the work, and Mary's out hanging with you. And Jesus had to speak into that little attitude right there. But that's the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and we know this about them. And as we jump into this passage, we're going we're gonna to see how much Jesus declares a love for for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Martha was the rule follower in, the, in this set of sisters. I don't know if you've been around sisters before, but, uh, or if you have sisters, but uh, usually when there's two sisters, you have a rule follower and a not so much rule follower. Now, I can identify with one of these two, and I married one of these two. I'm not gonna say which one I married, but I married a sister. And uh, my, uh, my wonderful wife almost ruined my proposal because I had as- great aspirations to propose to my wife in the most romantic way. I went to uh, her parents, and I sat down with them and asked them for permission to marry their daughter. And, and fortunately, they said yes, and so I, uh, I had this whole thing planned out. Now, I'm a little bit of a, you know, I I like doing things a little bit sneaky and and adventurous. and, And so I wanted to propose to my wife in a beautiful setting. So in our hometown, there was this waterfall, and it was about a mile hike up in a national park. And in this national park, there was a ranger station with a ranger that, that you know, made sure things weren't, you know, getting, you know, getting out of control. And there was a big sign um, at this ranger station that said, no, no, no one permitted beyond dark. So we get there. I tell my wife, I'm going to, we're going to, you know, go on a little bit of an adventure. And we, we're going to hike up to this wonderful waterfall. And she sees that sign. And she's like, no way. We are not going up there. I'm, but my power and gift of persuasion overcame her black and white rule following, fortunately. Almost, almost ruined our, our proposal, I tell you, it was, a, it was a massive fight, but no. We snuck by the ranger station, we hiked a mile up, and we, uh, we went to this waterfall, and, uh, and I asked her for her hand in marriage, to which she said yes. And the rest is history. But we still think about that, and my wife is a, just a traditional rule follower, and I love her for that, but um, Martha is the rule follower in this, in this story. And we also know that there's tremendous devotion that's reciprocated, um, you know, this, this family loves Jesus, and, and, and Jesus loves this family tremendously, So now, at this point in the story, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're doing ministry around Jerusalem. And Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, they live in Bethany. It's just a couple miles from Jerusalem. And and while they're doing ministry there, people are trying to kill Jesus. And so he decides, because it's not his time to die, he decides he's going to cross the Jordan, go out into the countryside, and he's going to minister there. So they leave, they go out into the countryside, and they're doing ministry, and during this time, uh lazarus this one that this friend that jesus loved gets sick and uh, jesus received the receives a message that lazarus is sick and he responds in the most interesting way jesus says this is not the sickness that leads to death but rather this is the sickness that will glorify my father two things about this statement one is we need to filter this story through this statement This is a sickness that glorifies my father. So when you read this story and you think about it, you have to kind of see the ending because they they failed to see it in the middle of it as they were going through it because this was a very traumatic event that was going on. Secondly, we don't like to hear that message. This is a perspective that, that none of us like. I don't like it. And that is that God can allow bad things to happen and use it for his glory. You see, we want God to intervene. When, when, when stuff comes into our life that we don't like, and we pray, and sometimes out of desperation, we're saying, God, please come in and take care of this. We want him to make the cir- circumstances and the situations good, and then that will glorify him. But sometimes God takes the bad stuff, and he uses it for his glory. And that's what he's saying here. So it's important for us to remember this as we look through this passage. So Jesus, here's the news About his friend being sick, and he just hangs out, continuing to do ministry for another few days. A couple days go by, and instead of going to where Lazarus is dying, he hangs out and he does ministry. Have you ever been disappointed? It's redundant, I know. We all have been disappointed. How do you respond to disappointment? Some people respond in anger. Some in frustration. You know what disappointment is. It's, it's when you have an expectation. When you think that you want something to happen a certain way and then it doesn't, that, that failed expectation will lead to disappointment and that disappointment will, re, will reveal itself in, in many ways. Sometimes in bitterness, sometimes in, in sadness, sometimes in anger, in frustration. Sometimes it leads to uh, these places in our life where we get stuck. But disappointment. Is a difficult thing. Now imagine that you're sick. You're really, really sick and you have a close friend that can do something about it. I was sick one time and, and, and I remember I, uh, I got really sick. I lost 40 pounds in just a matter of weeks. I couldn't eat for weeks, uh, I think four to six weeks. The doctors didn't know what was going on with me and, and I was literally in bed just you know, not knowing and really thinking that I was dying. And I had a friend uh, who came by one day and he just said, I just want to pray for you. And he laid hands and prayed for me. And and, uh, that week I got I got well. And I really do believe that God intervened in the middle of my sickness and, and brought some healing to me. But it doesn't always happen that way. If you've been sick, and if you imagine that you're Lazarus, you're you're in this place and you're praying you know, Jesus, you know, come and help me. And you're, you're hoping that he, you know, he gets the message and he'll come and take care of your situation. And certainly, you, you, you know, if he gets word, he's going to come and he's going to heal you. You know that he can heal you because Lazarus watched Jesus heal all kinds of strangers. And here's a guy that, that you know, he, that you love, he loves. Jesus loves Lazarus. So certainly Lazarus has a realistic expectation that as soon as Jesus hears this message, he's going to come and he's going to heal him. And Jesus no-shows. He no-shows, and Lazarus dies. How do you deal with disappointment with God? See, it's one thing to deal with disappointment, but what about with God, when God doesn't do what you think He should do? Do you respond with trust, or do you respond with blame? You know, sometimes in life we we have friends, people that we're close with, that can come in and intervene and they can heal your situation. Maybe it's financial, and they have the financial means to get you out of the circumstances that you're in. Or, or maybe they have, you know, the means to come in and make whatever is going on in your life correct. Jesus could have healed Lazarus, but he doesn't. We've got to deal with some struggle and disappointment in the life of Lazarus today, because he, he dies, and Jesus no-shows. So after Lazarus passes away, that's when Jesus says, okay, now we can go back to Bethany. Now when he does this, his disciples respond with, I think, a really good question. They're like, "Uh, Jesus, do you remember what happened when we were there before? Like, they were trying to kill you, and if they're going to kill you, they're probably going to kill us too. And Jesus kind of ignores that, and he says, no, we got to go because our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now, the disciples are a little bit slow on the uptake, which is something that I take comfort in. Because, you know, God's always doing stuff in our midst, and sometimes I just don't, I just, I can't keep up. I, I just don't have it all figured out. And, and, and so much, you know, like us, these disciples are going, uh, okay, he's asleep, we go wake him up, what are we going to do? And Jesus is like, no, listen. You can almost see Jesus grabbing him by the ears, and he's like, listen, guys, like, he's not asleep, he's dead. Like, he's dead, dead. And we need to go back there, and we need to tend To this family, so that's what he does. Sometimes God is doing something right in your midst, and you just don't get it. Sometimes we're just not paying attention, or we're distracted by our own things. But, but Jesus is always there to work. So that's the lead into this story. I'm going to read it in John 11, verse 17. You can follow along with me. Uh, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus gets there four days after Lazarus passes away. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, if you look at this situation, there's a weird role reversal. Remember I told you, Martha is the rule follower, Mary's the one that responds emotionally, and you would think, The minute they hear that Jesus is coming, that Mary would be the one to say, oh, you know, I'm going to see Jesus. But she stays at home, and she grieves, and she doesn't respond. But Martha, the minute she hears, she takes off, and she goes and she beelines for Jesus. You know, it was customary in Jewish culture in the first century that when a family member died, that you would actually spend some time just not leaving the home. You would stay there, and you would grieve. And and there would be mourners, and there would be people around. And that's what Mary's doing. She's just staying in. She's not leaving. But Martha beelines for Jesus in verse 21. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered and said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day i got to stop here, too, because this is where things get real. See, Martha's struggling emotionally. She's having a hard time going from what she knows to be true to what she's feeling, and her feelings come out in, in you know, declaring and blaming Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that he will rise again. I know that you can bring him back to life someday. And Jesus responds to her in an incredible way, but she's still trying to connect these dots. I don't know if you've been around death, but here Mary and Martha, they're, they're nurturing their brother during this time of sickness, and he ends up dying, and it's laborious, and death is ugly. All dignity goes out the window, and that's what Mary and Martha are dealing with here, and they're kind of at the end of the rope at this time. When, during these times, you ask Some questions, but there's a question that begs to be asked in the middle of this, and that question is How can God be loving and still let me me experience this pain or even death? God, how could you do this? Where were you, God? If you're good, where were you? If you're kind, where were you? If you're for me and not against me, where were you? People, people are wailing. There is mourning. Part of their mourning process, they would put on sackcloth and ashes. If you don't know what this is, it's, they would actually clothe themselves with like burlap clothing. It was itchy. It was uncomfortable. And they would take ashes and literally pour these ashes on their head and grind it into their head and their skin, basically declaring outwardly what they were feeling inside. They're basically saying, you know, I'm in pain And I'm grieving. That's what they would do. And here these grievers and these mourners are doing this in the process. And so you know what's going on internally. And here Mary is sitting in the house for days, not even coming out for Jesus. Martha goes from raw emotion and speaking what she feels to declaring what she knows. But she doesn't feel it. Doesn't feel it. And she says, Jesus, I know my brother will rise again in the resurrection I know, Lord, years and years and years and maybe years and years from now. Whenever you come and reconcile this world and you make all bad things and all wrong things right, yeah, then, Lord, I believe that there will be a resurrection. But she doesn't get it right now, presently, what is going on. And she's going like, Lord, that doesn't do a whole lot for me now. That's what she's thinking. Like, You know, I I miss my brother. I, I don't want him to die. And I'm begging you to do something. And Jesus steps in. And he says in verse 25, I am, this is our I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Will never die is what Jesus says to her. And then he says, do you believe this? Asking her to express her faith. To step out in faith. And she says, yes, Lord. He just declared that he's the resurrection and the life. You are dead, but if you believe in me, you'll live and never die. And he says, do you believe this? And she doesn't quite get it. You can see where she's having a hard time connecting these dots. And she says, yes, Lord. I believe it. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She still sees it in the future. She doesn't realize that right now Jesus is saying and declaring, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the solution to your problem right now. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. You see, the resurrection. And the life isn't just some future promise. It's here and now and available to all who believe. So the story ends. Jesus says, where have you laid Lazarus? And they take him to the tomb. It's a cave with a stone over the entrance. In verse 39, Jesus sees the stone and he says, take away the stone. Now Mary, or Martha's response to me is very interesting and kind of kind of funny. Because here she's been begging for Jesus to come. She knows that he can do miracles. She knows that he is who he said he was, that he is the son of God and he is the Messiah. And he comes even though he came late in her estimation. And he and he speaks into this truth and some words of comfort and she's still struggling and so she follows him to the tomb and Jesus is there and he and he declares for this stone to be rolled away. And her only response that she can think of saying is, wait, hold on, Lord. Like he's been in there four days. He's going to smell. Like she's missing the incredible opportunity knowing that Jesus is here and he's declaring, roll away this stone. And all she can, resp- all she can think about is the physical fact that he's been in there four days. He's going to smell. The original King James says that Martha declared, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. (laughs) Preaching out of the King James, I don't know how you would ever say that without laughing. He stinketh. That's all she can think of to say. Here they are facing this incredible God move and all she can think about is how much he's going to smile. Man, we miss it so often in in the midst of this process. So, they roll the stone away. Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come out of the grave. Come out. And in verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and, and cloth around his face. So then Jesus says to them, Take off the grave clothes, let him go, unbind him, Jesus declares. Now, when you read this story, you kind of visualize this, you know, and, and it's a little bit confusing because you think about the fact that when they would, when they would bury people, they would wrap them in these grave clothes. They would kind of mummify them where they'd wrap them all the way up from their ankles and they'd wrap their arms and then they'd cover their face with a grave cloth so that he couldn't see. And, and Jesus raises them from the dead and then he says, you know, come forth. But he's still got these grave clothes wrapped around him. I don't know if he hopped out. Of the grave, I mean, it seems a little weird. It's a pretty serious time, but you know, did he hop out or or did he just try to do the the shuffle? Remember when you were you know in elementary school? I, I was thinking about this, I thought, and I, I remembered like we'd play these games out in the field, these races where they would they would tie your ankles together and you would try to race somebody down to the end. And usually you had your hands because you'd always fall down. Was that what Lazarus did? Was he shuffling himself out of the grave? I don't know how he came out, but I'll tell you what he came out in a incredibly awkward way. He had to. He was stinking, smelling, wrapped in grave clothes, to the point where Jesus said, unbind him. Get those things off him. He can't even walk right. And here here it is, this incredible story. We We can read into so many wonderful things in this story. The fact that Jesus says he is our resurrection life, and he's speaking to the present right now and right here. But I want to look at this from uh, just some, some practical, biblical application. I want to look at this in our time left and, and go, what does this mean for us? And draw, you know, some application out of it. Many of us are here, you've experienced difficult things, you will experience difficult things, and probably more, uh, more right than not, you came in here probably, you know, dealing with some heavy, difficult things. And Jesus wants to speak into that. We can leave here and pull some things from, from this story. So what can we draw from this story? First thing, he, his love doesn't always look like you think it should. Sometimes you think that Jesus' love would look a certain way, but it doesn't always look that way. We're specifically told that Jesus loved Lazarus in verse 5. So why, did he, why didn't he save him from death? Why did Jesus let Lazarus die because he had a plan that was so much greater. You see, I I guarantee you that Lazarus, laying in that that bed, struggling for life, I guarantee you that that his expectation was that his friend, who had the power to heal him, would come and heal him, but he didn't. And why did Jesus not do that? Because he had something bigger in store. See, Jesus wanted to reveal his power Verse 4 says, the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's what Jesus had in mind. I don't know what you're going through today, but I'm confident that the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power that is offered to you and me, that when you and I come into relationship with Jesus, that same power comes to live and dwell in us, I'm confident that that power wants to change your life. And it can change everything in your circumstances. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, God takes us from death to life and our present suffering will never compare to the glory of God that he wants to bring in and through your circumstances and I understand it doesn't always make sense to us in the natural our ways are not his ways but I'm I'm telling you I have I have seen him work and move in ways that were so counterintuitive to what I thought he should do that in the end I just had to look back and go man I wish I would have got this in the beginning But I'll tell you, it's these these times when you see God revealing himself in powerful ways that our faith is increased and we begin to trust him more and more through these circumstances. Second, we see in this story that there are obstacles and there are odors. There are things that get in the way. We're told that Lazarus' tomb had a massive stone block in it. So Jesus ordered the crowd to roll away. This stone. I love this part of the story because we all have stones and, and obstacles that stand in the way of what God wants to do in us and through us. You see, Jesus calls Lazarus from death to life, but there's still a stone in the way. Lazarus couldn't roll this stone away himself. Jesus certainly could have commanded the stone to roll itself out of the way because Jesus is Lord over The stone, scripture says that. He's Lord over all creation. He could have even, out of the power of his words spoken, could have decimated that stone. But why did he choose not to do that? He involved the community around Lazarus. I just think this is awesome. You know, Jesus could have done it in a million different ways, but what does he do? He says, hey, come on, guys. Let's move this stone away so Lazarus can come out of the grave. I see God doing this more often than not, involving others. You know, this community standing around, they get to participate in this incredible miracle that God is doing. And God has the power to do anything he wants to. But sometimes you just got to take note of what he's doing in this process. Because in this journey with Jesus, you were never meant to do it alone. We're better together And you see that all throughout Scripture. This is not a solo journey. That's why we here at Abundant Life, we we believe in life groups. Those are small groups, and this isn't, you know, me trying to plug our life groups. But I'm telling you, my life group is an incredible community that rallies around me, and we rally around them. You know, we we go through difficult times. We're supposed to journey and do life together, and it's impossible to do that on Sunday morning with hundreds and thousands of people. So we're called to, you know, step out and be a part of a community group, a life group, or something like that so we can go through this together. That's what I believe Jesus is demonstrating for us in this, that he involves other people. In this story, there's another major problem. Not only was there an obstacle, but there was, a, there was an odor. It was a bad odor. He smelled. And I think this is an appropriate picture of how we come to Jesus. Stinky. You would think that a perfect, holy Jesus would not be comfortable with us bringing all of our stink and all of our garbage and all the stuff from our past into his presence. But he doesn't. See, Jesus says to us, come as you are, however you are. Bring all your stuff to me. He doesn't say, you know, go take a shower and get yourself cleaned up and come to me. He doesn't say, oh, you're sick. You need to go see a doctor first and get yourself well. And then you can present yourself to me. I love this. He just says, come to me. Come to me just as you are and let me take care of the rest. And the climax in John 11 occurs when Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, come out of the grave, he says. And he's saying these same words to you and to me today, that you can come from death to life. See, when Jesus was saying that he was the resurrection and the life, he was not talking about raising Lazarus from the dead. I know I spent a lot of years reading this passage thinking when Jesus was declaring that right in the midst of the story and then right after he declares it, he brings Lazarus out of the grave. And I thought, yeah, he's the resurrection and the life for Lazarus. That's not what he's talking about. You know how I know? Because there's a big difference between Jesus' death and Lazarus' death. Jesus was resurrected. He was brought from death to life in a glorified state. His grave clothes, still in the grave, walked through the stone that blocked the entrance, walked through walls. Lazarus was brought from death to life, but he was resuscitated. He wasn't resurrected. Grave clothes still on, still a big rock in the way that Jesus, you know, gets some people to help out and he comes forth. And you know the kicker of it is? Jesus says... I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you're dead, you will live and never die. But you know what? Lazarus, physically, he died again. He was brought from death to life, but he died again. I mean, I just wonder, you know, like, was this a good deal for Lazarus? I mean, seriously, like, this, you know, bring me back to life so I can die again? Historians say he lived maybe another 30 years and he died again. Jesus was not talking about a physical resurrection in the life of Lazarus. He was talking about this spiritually. Jesus wants to bring us from death to life, which is incredible. You can come from darkness to light. You can come from death to life. He calls us all in 1 Corinthians. He says it like this. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul in Ephesians also says that as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. You see, we're brought from death to life, which is crazy, but it happens in a powerful way. And I'll tell you, when you read this passage, you see, but God. Whenever you see a but God in scripture, you need to stop and take note. This is incredible. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Because of his great love. You were dead. God made you alive. That's the power of the resurrection. And third, there are things from our past that entangle us. There's, another, there's just another step to setting Lazarus free. And it's a critical part for us to experience true freedom. Although Lazarus was brought from death to life, he still came forward bound by his grave clothes. And Jesus declares to all the onlookers, go unbind him. See, when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, we bring stuff from our old life that keep us bound up into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. I don't care how young you were when you came to know Jesus. Some of you, maybe three or four, like you grew up in the church and you made a decision early on, you've been walking with Jesus forever. It doesn't matter because I have a 21-month-old and you don't have to teach these kids how to sin. <laughs> I'm telling you, all of you bring stuff from your past into a relationship with Jesus. My 21-month-old, man, he just naturally gets it. Like you tell him no, and that makes him want to grab it all the more. He, you tell him, you know, leave that alone, and he wants to grab it. You buy all, this, all these incredible toys for him, all these gadgets, and he wants to play with the, you know, the fragile things, the things that he can break. He wants to mess things up. And the more you tell him no, the more he wants to do it. Or you can come to know Jesus later in life like I did when I was 15, I brought a whole lot of garbage into my relationship with Jesus. And some of you came to know Jesus even later in life. I I think the older you are, the more stuff you you get involved with, the more stuff you bring into our life with Jesus. And and, and I I don't want to miss the point that Jesus can miraculously deliver you in a moment. I've seen him do it. I've I've seen alcoholics that lose the, the, the thirst for alcohol in an instant when they come to know Jesus. But the thing that will really mess you up is when you come to know Jesus and you still have the cravings from your old life. That's a tough thing. I've sat with more people that came to know Jesus and still struggled with their addictions and their habits and the things from their past. We come come forth from the grave with our grave clothes and we need to be set free and understand the truth. See, Jesus wasn't satisfied with just raising Lazarus from the dead to only have him walk around bound by these grave clothes. Paul explains it in Romans. Look at this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. You, And me, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. You see, before you came into relationship with Jesus, you had no choice, like my 21-month-old. Like, it's just a natural thing that we do. We're a slave to those things. But when you come into relationship with Jesus, the miraculousness of the resurrection is that he breaks the power of sin in your life. You just got to believe it. Like it's still there. These habits and these propensities and these things that we bring into our life. We just have to remember that Jesus broke the power that they had over you and me. Even though we still struggle with them. Be brutally honest with yourself today. Are there still some smelly old grave clothes that are tripping you up? If so, Jesus wants to set you free. This can be your day of resurrection and freedom. And for you, if you don't know Jesus, that means that you can actually come for the first time and be set free and embrace the same power that raised Jesus from the dead because he says it's available to you. And if you believe and you receive, you will never, ever die. And for some of you, it's just all that stuff that you brought into your life with Christ, and today he wants to deliver you from some of those things. For some, it's trying to, you know, look, hard, look the part. Like, you know, you come in and you act the right way, and you try to do things on your own in your own power. But Jesus wants to set you free. Here's how Hebrews 12.1 says it. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles You've been set free. But these, this sin, these grave clothes, they're going to bind you up, throw them off, cast them off, take care of them, deal with them, and it starts today. So we're going to end our time with a song. I'm going to pray, and I want to encourage you. That during the song, you can read the words, because it's a new song to you. It was a new song to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, we had some... Uh, you know, some of our kids hanging out. We were in our, our living room, and my daughter, who doesn't live with us, was there, and we were talking, and out of the blue, she gets up, and she goes over to the piano, and she starts playing a song. And she's starts singing this song, and I just began to tear up because I realized, like, this is the song of my message because this song declares that he delights in second chances. For some of you, that's good news today. He's a God of second chances, and he wants to set you free. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing this song. I encourage you to read the words, sit there, you can reflect. But after this song, our, our worship pastor today, Steve, he's going, to, um, he's going to invite any of you that want to come forward. We have prayer partners that will meet with you. And for some of you, it might be coming forward for the first time and saying, I want to accept Jesus. And for some of you, you might need to deal with some of those grave clothes. But let this song do something powerful in your life and embrace Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you, God, that you sent Jesus, the one that had victory over our sin, the one that set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And you offered us new life. Each one of us, God, you gave us life as we accept you, Jesus, be in our resurrection. So Lord, work in our hearts. Change us. Wherever, wherever we are, however we came into this building, God, I pray that you would meet us right there in the power of your resurrection and set each and every one of us free as we cry out to you, surrender for your glory, Jesus. Amen.